What if designers start by asking, what do we already have? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Hey, hello, and welcome back. It's episode 109, and today I'm talking to Janina Nieper, an architect and designer working at Fernify, a design agency in the Netherlands. Janina Nieper is passionate about concepts that promote the well-being of our planet and its inhabitants, including using the circular economy to help us stay within planetary boundaries. At Fernify, a company dedicated to creating circular spaces, Janina is in charge of business development and consulting, merging her expertise in spatial design and circular design. Janina wants to accelerate the circular economy through connecting, collaboration and sharing, and she founded the Circular Economy Club in Amsterdam, with regular events to create a network of circular pioneers in Amsterdam. Fernify is a design agency, designing interior spaces for office work, education and other activities. Fernify aims to turn its clients' sustainable ambitions into a circular reality by offering second-life alternatives for new designs. Fernify's offer covers four services – consulting, design, realisation and storytelling – We hear about how client needs are evolving and broadening. On top of the aesthetic and practical requirements around what do we need to do in this space, now organisations want to reduce carbon, make a positive impact on other sustainability measures and create healthier spaces for their teams and customers. That could include improving mental well-being as well as reducing synthetic materials, chemicals like flame retardants and more. Let's meet Janina Nieper, and I'll be back afterwards to share what I learnt from our conversation. Janina, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to find out more about Fernify, which looks very interesting. First of all, then, what's the backstory for Fernify? How did it? How did this all come about? Fernify started 2010, already 13 years ago. Uh, we started uh, because we were big, uh, part of a bigger design agency. And we started because we, are, we realized we are very much part of the problem. Uh, when we design something new, we are actually throwing out furniture. Uh, and then we realized that in the process of designing them, something new, also quality is thrown out that actually could potentially be easily reused. And that's where we started. So in terms of the work that you do for clients, um, can you explain a bit about the kinds of projects and the sorts of items that you're looking to um, design into into those spaces? 
Uh, definitely. So Fernify works as a networking role. Uh, we connect uh, new designs to leftover materials. Um, we do schools, we do offices, uh, any spatial design activity. And there we connect um, materials um, that are potentially thrown out to new designs. This is from furniture to, to for instance, leftover moss wall, uh, to leftover carpets, um, the scope on materials. Um, is potentially way wide. So anything that could be in a, a kind of working space or a school education space, those kind of things. So yeah. clients come to you with a with a problem, and then what happens? So they come to uh, to us usually with a request. They would like to have a new space. Uh, usually it's a, a request, a space that fits them. Then we try to understand their needs. What is it that is current, currently not fitting them? Uh, the next step that we do is we do an inventory. What is the materials that they already have? What furniture do they already have? What spatial qualities do they already like? And then, of course, we try to make a minimum in, with a minimum impact, a maximum um, impact on the new environment, saying that we try to change as little as possible to create a maximum change for them so that it is a better for the resources, uh, but also better for the planet, but also exactly what the needs that the client has. So they're achieving the kind of outcomes that they want, whether that's um, changing the way they use the space or just refreshing some, um, you know, old items in the space or maybe even moving into a new space and, and kind of starting from scratch. Correct. Yeah. And we start with the inventory first. Yeah. So, um, what are, what are the kind of motivations that clients are coming to you with? Is it more about, um, you know, we know you've got great design skills, Fernify, can you help us achieve this? Or are clients coming along with additional requirements like, um, you know, help me reduce my carbon or help me have a healthier um, interior space for my for the team that's going to be working in here? All of them. So I would say um, sometimes um, clients have very sustainable ambitions. So they already have um, a nice space for them, but they like to have some changes that so it fits them better. So they have very specific requests. Um, but usually we also work in co cooperation with design agency DDoc. And there is also about the new way of working. So sometimes clients really would like to, to bring um, better spatial qualities to an office, to make, it, uh, to make it more human for employees, more attractive to also work there. So then we also brought in um, together with them to make sure that whatever is designed is designed as circular as possible. So we as Fernify, we really, our um, mission is to turn every sustainable um, ambition into real reality so that we're able to uh, connect the dots uh, when a new design is there with leftover materials. Mm. So before... And then also, yes, and also making sure that uh, it doesn't compromise aesthetics. So if there is a client uh, who who would like to have, uh, has aesthetic, uh, needs certain aesthetic qualities, we, we believe that sustainability doesn't compromise that. Mm. Yeah, so you're meeting the design brief first, but trying to do it as sustainably as possible and and reuse everything that you can from within their space and before we come on to the 
the how of the reuse, um, you know, how you kind of make that happen in practical terms. I want to just go back to something you said a minute ago, and I can't remember the exact phrase that you used, but I think it was about making the spaces more human. Um, wh what would that mean? So it, this goes into the, the work that especially DDoG is also doing um, to really look into uh, what is it, the new way of working? What can we, uh, what, uh, so what do employees look for when they, when they uh, would like to work in an office space, for instance? Um, so there we really want, want to make sure that uh, we offer, for instance, different topologies. The, the office that we now have, for instance, doesn't look like an office. Uh, whenever we showcase uh, where we work, uh, you, we are able to host many different events. You go there for serendipity. You go to our office and you meet uh, different uh, people. Uh, you meet, you get inspired by new, um, uh, mom, yeah, new people that you meet. But at the same time, the the, the office allows uh, you to seek also the space that you need for certain. Um, moments of work. So we have quiet spaces, but we also have spaces for interaction. So that's something that we also are keen on uh, making sure that in the design, we fit really um, the status quo of the needs of the client, depending on uh, what is needed and wanted. Mm. And I guess these days with hybrid working and different ways that people are trying to connect with their teams, um, then the challenges around that are, are even more complex. So tell us about the practicalities then. Once you've come up with the designs and the clients accepted that, um, you've then got the challenge of trying to reuse or source the furniture, carpets, um, maybe the artwork and so on. How, how does that happen? Yeah, so Furnify works as a networking position. So we are very happy to now have worked for 13 years, being able to also establish relationships with other suppliers. Uh, so whenever we have an established design, we look first, what does the client already have? What do we already have? What is, is in our network of suppliers? And then we also reach out to them and ask them if we find something similar, if we find something that could potentially also fit uh, the design. And that's basically how we then source um, for a project. Mm. So you're using what the client already has, but you're also reusing things that you're network of suppliers might have from um you know leftover from other projects and then either using that as is or is there some uh you know refurbishment or fixing or upcycling what kind of things might typically happen um definitely so we always um we always clean um everything that we reuse and we also do a technical checkup making sure that whatever we deliver uh, can also last for a long time um, so we we we, we work uh, also with the R ladder in mind, thinking that uh, the higher we go up the R ladder, the better. So we refuse, for instance, to use toxical toxic elements. So for instance, if we refurbish also with um, textiles, then we try to make sure that those textiles don't cause harm on the environment. We try to rethink also the processes to really reduce the amount of CO2 we have. Um, on a remodeling process and then we reuse as much as possible or repair if needed or refurbish and we go lower the R ladder as possible um, so we make sure we really uh, keep the product uh, in in the highest uh, value as possible so you're really using this R ladder throughout your 
um, your process. Um, and yeah, let, I'm going to put a link to that in, in the show notes for people who want to look deeper into that. So Fernify is acting as a single point of contact for clients. Um, and then you're following the steps in the R ladder process. Um, and what other kind of things are you doing to help engage the people who are going to use the building um, with the furniture? What what other things have you have you done um, that's different to the kind of you know um, you you have an office refit? Here's a load of new furniture, and you know that's it. End of story. As Fernify, we do uh, four things. So we first we consult, we design, we realize, but we also tell stories, and I think that's the that's the uh, thing that we're also um, really passionate about. We think that if a project is delivered, um, the stories that come with the project and come with the furniture uh, also deserves being carried on. So if, for instance, a, a furniture piece comes uh, out of a bag or comes out of a studio de- of, of, a, of a famous uh, artist, then those stories make the the product uh, longer lasting once we create connection to a product to a product and we take better care of it so we believe that those stories are also worth telling and spreading because it is a difference taking care of your grandma's chair than a chair that we just bought the other day um at a, at a lo- low cost retail store so i think that there is a difference in in the connection that we make to those pieces and that's also something that we are passionate about sharing if we can connect a qr code for instance of a chair to a story that we tell. And then we created, for instance, for a client that we had uh, for JetBrains in Munich, um, a QR code that was then tagged to a website uh, where then we could read of the stories of the products that we delivered. Mm. So I could go into a building that Fernify had refitted, um, see a QR code on a piece of furniture that was that was near me, and then use my phone to find out more about the, the backstory. And I guess... Um, you know, we're we're finding out these days, aren't we, that stories are important. You mentioned that um, people would look after their a chair from their grandmother much more than a um, you know a, a standard chair that you bought from um, IKEA or wherever. Um, but I guess it's not just having that personal emotional connection, is it? Um, I know Patagonia in for their American store um, that that resells. Uh, worn wear they call it um, so you're buying somebody else's pre-used clothing or outdoor gear but Patagonia score those garments on the basis of the condition and their um, strap line is something like the scars tell the stories so even if something's been mended um, you know say a jacket's been ripped and it's been mended that means that jacket's been out and had an, had an adventure um, and people seem to be quite happy picking up somebody else's stories. And is is that what you're finding as well? That you know, it's the kind of it's the it's the interest and the human connection, even though that connection isn't a person that you actually know. Definitely, I was also just thinking that it's this Japanese uh, way of repairing um, objects that I think fits very well this idea where you actually leave the scar. And maybe even highlighted with a color, and I think that's also something that this um, metaphor I really really like uh, is that actually we can also share them as a new set of standard of beauty. That uh, a scar or repairing things uh, is nothing that uh, is something that also is beautiful and tells a story in itself. 
I, don't, I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's certainly starting to become a trend in clothing, isn't it? Um, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a, um, a book from, um, uh, I can remember the person's surname, Collingwood Norris. I can't remember her. First name at the moment, but um, yeah, she did. She did a a beautiful book on visible creative mending. So really making things beautiful by using embroidery and other and other techniques. And I know she does online courses as well, um, so people can really get to grips with that. Um, and you're right. You know, it's a long-standing, um, you know, very historic Japanese culture, isn't it? The kind of celebrating that you've taken extra care to keep something in use and that you're celebrating the mending itself so um, what kind of benefits are clients experiencing you know what what feedback do you get about the the kind of um, the surprising aspects of how this has worked for them Usually clients are also very proud to share the statistics that we deliver together with a project. So for instance, we did a project in the Netherlands for Dura Femir, uh, and there 50% of the furniture pieces we were able to reuse of existing offices. Uh, and then 44%, for instance, came from a network of Second Life items, and only 6% we, uh, we needed to source new, but on a high sustainable um, standards and that's something that's usually clients are also very proud to share and uh, that they are that their mission and values aligns also with what they're doing so if they they are a sustainable company um, then they also would like to do the remodeling as sustainable as possible and that's where we come in and are able to connect the dots very mm. well so you're really able to help clients um you know walk the talk not just have these targets, but explain how they're embedding it into all sorts of aspects of the way they they do business. Um, and even you. even going back to the 1990s when I worked at Kellogg's in in Manchester, so it was at the UK head office and it was a relatively new building. Um, but we we would joke amongst ourselves that you could tell when somebody from um, head office in America, Battle Creek, it was called, when somebody was coming over from Battle Creek that you know the um the reception area would be <laughs> touched up with paint and the lifts would be super cleaned and and so on um and um you know it we we felt embarrassed about how high spec the office was compared to the factory and it didn't you know it was a nice place to work but you still kind of had this guilt that um it was a bit ostentatious and um we uh, you know, this is go so this is going back to the nineteen nineties. But even then our nickname for it was Trump Towers. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we were ahead of our time. <laughs> so yeah. So um you know, you know in the in the you know, the last ten years or so and, and building um Fernify's uh, business and design agency offer, what have you struggled with and what surprised you? I think something that we struggle with as Fernify is competing with tax, uh, the tax laws. So, for instance, uh, what we currently experience, and we also experienced uh, over the ten years, is that um, raw materials are not taxed, while its labor is, meaning that a refurbishing process uh, can sometimes then lead to higher prices in the end than actually buying something in a more um, cost um, labor uh, in a lower cost labor country. 
um, that is then produced new. So that's something that we have been struggling with that too, we, because we as Phonify, we're really looking at the project cost and we really wanna be competitive with something new because we believe sustainability shouldn't also be, shouldn't cost necessarily more, but this also means that we also have to take a whole project cost into account. Uh, that sometimes it can be that the refurbishing of a very single uh, product can sometimes really cost more than actually buying it new, but then from uh, from Asia uh, or et cetera. But uh, these are things that we are currently, that's the status quo of the current tax regulations, meaning that a refurbishing process where local labor is involved, we pay taxes on the labor, uh, which of course then adds up Mm. comparing it to not taxed virgin materials yeah and that seems a bit ridiculous on two fronts doesn't it that um you know we need labor <laughs> we need jobs um and yet we're we're taxing them out of existence um and also that we know often in low-cost um countries that the labor is exploitative um and so we're kind of offshoring not very good jobs um and I guess also there's the design aspect, isn't isn't there, that if these pieces of furniture and so on were designed with refurbishment in mind, then the whole process would be a lot more cost effective. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whereas in in all sorts of products, things are made cheaper by using, you know, glues and bonding instead of fixings that can be undone. Definitely. So um, if you were going to if you were talking to another business that wanted to to go more circular what would your top tip or lesson learned be what what would you tell them to do first i think what we really learned is um it really makes a difference when you're able to show what you're doing so making it really tangible so we point since um two years ago we created db55 which is the office that we work in together with a community of, of companies um, and there we really made um, this a reality. We really reused as much as possible. We reused, for instance, old train floor of trains in the Netherlands, made it into a new pattern uh, for our no now existing floor uh, on the third floor of our office. We reused um, building blocks. We reused furniture. We reused as much materials as possible and legally allowed um, because for the steel construction, for instance, we weren't uh, yet. Uh, and there, it's 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 really inspiring to just showcase uh, what we were, what we are, what we're trying to tell. So if if we make it tangible, uh, clients are more, uh, when they walk into our office, they really see what we're talking about, and then then for them, it's more understandable. Uh, also, the journey that we're taking them on. But sometimes, uh, not everything is as certain as possible because of the pro procurement process. Um, but that things will turn out beautiful nonetheless, because we we have a vision in mind and we know where we're heading. So I think that's something that we really learned and makes a big difference to clients when they see um, what we can accomplish working in the way that we work. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds interesting, because I guess it's not as if clients can kind of look through a catalogue and say, you know, I want one of these chairs, I want one of these tables um you know i want the the bathrooms to look like this um that it's much more of a kind of description of 
what sort of style they would like and and then your design expertise in making that work for their their teams and the aims of the business and so on but constrained by what's available out there and how you can make it all come together in a way that that you know looks coherent definitely I think one tip could also be to start a local community and network. So they, I, I, for instance, I, I founded the Circular Economy Club in Amsterdam, uh, which is now a community of like-minded people. And we host drinks every month uh, where we connect uh, uh, over drinks and we meet at circular um, companies. And that way you create a network uh, of people. You also invite collaboration. And it's also the first step to to understand how are other businesses doing it, to be inspired uh, and to also foster community because I think community is at the source of change uh, and collaboration is very much needed uh, towards a circular economy. Uh, so the two of them are very much uh, achieved by joining local networks and initiatives that work on the same mission. Mm, that's a great point. And I think there are more and more things like this um, popping up around the world and certainly the you know circular economy club has been going for for years um and yeah it's it's very active in in some cities so um we can include a link to that in in the show notes and then if people are um living in Amsterdam or or popping nearby they can maybe come along to one of the meetings definitely and Janina is that do you have a favorite circular economy example or is there somebody you'd like to recommend as a future guest for the podcast Definitely. Um, to frame the picture, I'm based uh, in Amsterdam, and so is Fernify. Fernify is based in Amsterdam, and in Amsterdam there are many inspiring um, companies uh, who are working on the same mission. I really like um, the work that Eva Gladek is doing with Metabolic, but also Bas van Abu with Fairphone, uh, going out on a mission for Fairphone, and then um, turning this uh, campaign into uh, a business um, it's really inspiring to see yeah i'd love to interview fairphone um and um uh people can't see this on the <laughs> on the podcast because it's not visual but i've just waved my um new but not new <laughs> fairphone three at yanina so i had a fairphone two and i was um you know pretty gutted uh, a couple of months ago when Fairphone decided that they were no longer going to be able to support the Android software updates that obviously keep it mm -hmm. secure, um, though they'd managed seven years, which was longer than their commitment of five years. And so I reluctantly thought, well, I'm going to have to upgrade. Um, and I decided the best way to do that was not, not the latest Fairphone, which is Fairphone 4, but to go for a Fairphone three plus I wanted with the better camera lens. Um, but could I find a refurbished one that wasn't at a ridiculous price? No, I couldn't. Um, and so in the end, what I did was bought a Fairphone three um, and then ordered the camera lens from Fairphone uh, to upgrade it myself, um, along with a, um, a new and better, better cover. So I'm kind of feeling um, you know, that I've, I've got something that's not, not quite as good as keeping the Fairphone 2 going, but it's, you know, it, it ticks a box. So I'd, I'd love to interview either um, Eva from Metabolic or uh, somebody from Fairphone. That would be great. Thank you. And, Yanina, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing to help create a better world, what would that be and why? I think for me... Um... 
one of the main things is also creating a vision. So the vision that I really, really like is the vision of Kate Worworth of the donut economics to really create this, that to really get um, also politicians behind a vision for a better tomorrow, that we don't just um, do laws, but that we do laws in relation to a vision. So the vision that Kate Worworth, for instance, paints is a vision of staying within planetary boundaries. So we have nine planetary boundaries and also the vision of um, a social just society. So the donut of the outer ring of the planetary boundary and the inner rings of the so social foundations of, of a society. And that's something that I, um, I this would be my magic wand that we would all understand this vision and being able to co yeah, collectively work towards it. That would be something that I would find really beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Yanina. And I'm I'm a big fan of the um, brilliant work that Kate Rayworth and the Donut Economics Lab are doing. Um, and I know that Amsterdam as a city um, is working on its circular economy and donut strategies. Um, and, you know, I think there's a there's a really good fit there. Um, and maybe I'll find a link to that and put that in the show notes as well. So thank you. Um, that that would be truly game-changing, wouldn't it, if, if all po politicians worldwide got on board with that. And is there anything you'd like to add before we let people know how they can find out more about you and Fernify? I I think in general, with the circular economy, what uh, makes me so enthusiastic and passionate about it is that I do think that we can all be a part of it. Usually, if, it, that's, if we are on a, in a private home or in, in a business that actually the businesses who are uh, very much part of the problem and causing much of the problems that we have right now can actually be the heart of the solutions that we can actually turn uh, the economy um, around from the inside out. And that's something that I find uh, super intriguing and also super inspiring that everyone can be the next, uh, a next circular pioneer in the field that they are working in. And that's something that I um, personally uh, I think it's very um, inspiring um, to be a part of in general. Yes, thank you. And I think it is empowering. And I certainly find that every time I um, do something, you know, like that Fairphone story, even though it was a bit of effort, I feel so much better about having that. And every time I look at the phone, it gives me a little buzz that, you know, I, I did something that was better than just buying um, a new product off the shelf. And, um, you know, I've even managed to upgrade it myself and and that kind of makes me then take much more care of it um and be proud of my own my own little um role in in uh, reducing a bit a bit of a footprint there so yanina how can people find out more and get in touch with you and the fernify team so we have a website uh called um fernify.nl so it's f u r n i f y Dot nl because we're based in Amsterdam um, and you're very happy to reach out to us also via Instagram or LinkedIn we are active on both platforms or via our website um, and if you're in the Netherlands or if you're um, looking for a new office design or a new spatial design but would like to do that in a circular sustainable manner then we're definitely keen to help awesome thank you and um 
if if and when I'm in Amsterdam, I'll certainly come and have a look at the um, at the space that you're working in. It sounds great. So, Yanina, thank you very much. It's been fascinating to hear how Furnify is bringing design, stories and co-creation together to help clients make better choices about their workspaces. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. It was fascinating to hear how Furnify is broadening out the scope of design, making the client project more meaningful and richer by using the backstory of the reused and repurposed elements. That information might include stories of who refurbished things, perhaps someone who's struggling to be part of the labour market. Yanina mentioned a website Furnify did for one of its clients, JetBrains. That shows some of the beautiful spaces and furniture that Furnify created, with links to some of the backstory for each of the examples. It's well worth a look, particularly for those who want to use stories to engage clients with circular and regenerative solutions. I've included the link in the show notes. It was interesting to hear that Furnify doesn't provide all the circular services. Instead, they find it's better to partner with a network of suppliers. They see themselves as a single point of contact between suppliers and the client. That way, they're tapping into a wider range of expertise and refurbishment skills. Plus, they have access to a broader range of fixtures, fittings and furniture for the client projects. Yanina explained how Furnify uses the principles of the R-Ladder to guide them through the design process. You might have come across the R-Ladder. The latest version has 10 steps from refuse to recycle. Yanina shared an article from the Dutch Environmental Agency that shows these steps in a series of loops. And I really like the way that clarified priorities for design. I've included a link to that in the show notes too. The crucial part of this approach is to start with an inventory of what already exists, either from the client's current space or from Furnify's network of suppliers. That can provide excellent circularity benefits. As Yanina mentioned, the project for Jura Vermeer resulted in 50% reuse. Yanina highlighted the lack of level playing field for circular approaches compared to take-make-waste. For example, tax policies can make it cheaper to buy new furniture and equipment. That's another reminder that we need tax reforms and other policy levers to encourage reuse and other circular approaches. We talked about the Japanese culture of mending things in a way that makes them look more beautiful. And I mentioned a designer who offers creative visible mending courses for clothing. And she wrote a book to show some of the amazing repairs you can do. I couldn't remember her first name. It's Flora. Flora Collingwood Norris and I've included a link to her website in the show notes. I've also added links for the future guest Yanina mentioned at Metabolic and Fairphone, along with links to the Donut Economics Action Lab and the Amsterdam Circular Economy Policy. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Circular Economy Podcast. Thank you to our fascinating guest this week, Yanina Nipa of Furnify. And thanks, as always, to you for listening, sharing and helping make the circular economy happen. You can find out more about Yanina Nipa and Furnify, follow them on social media and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. Yeah. 
I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, then please check out episode one, episode two and episode 101. You could also buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. The book takes you through the concepts and the practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.